This week's Life Amplified podcast is brought to you by my special online workshop, Beyond the 9 to 5, coming up May 22nd. I am hosting a one-day workshop to help you thrive by creating your own personal economy, cutting ties with corporate, and taking back your life. If you are one of the two and three job seekers right now, according to LinkedIn, who are looking to switch industries or job functions or you want to leave corporate altogether, this workshop is going to be absolutely transformative. During this one-day event, you're going to learn how to move beyond the corporate lie and expand your vision for your life. I'm going to take you through some powerful exercises to help you illuminate your gifts and help you discover the talents and wisdom that are already within you that other people will pay you for. Also going to give you some formulas to help you create big profits and income streams with a small number of people. And perhaps most importantly, we're not just going to give you a new vision. We're going to give you a blueprint to master your inner game so you stay consistently aligned with those goals. Going to be announcing this to my mailing list coming up this week. If you want to get on the wait list, get first shot at tickets, and be able to get in at a special early bird discounted price, go to my website, creativesoulcoaching.net. I will see you May 22nd, helping you create your own personal economy, cut ties with corporate, and take back your life. We are taught from an early age and really good about keeping our feelings pushed down. And all those things you just talked about, we can do that. But when the gym's closed, when the office closed, when the bars closed, we couldn't push it down anymore. And so they're coming up, but there to meet them is fear from the pandemic and like all this stuff and loneliness. So it just was too much. And it has been surprising, but not shocking. How many college students I've heard say, when the gym got open, when the gym reopened, things started getting better. And I was like, well, then we have a problem because there's not a dumbbell in the world big enough to like lift your feelings away. There's not a treadmill you can run fast enough to run from your feelings. May is National Mental Health Awareness Month. And one of the biggest debates in the mental health community is what will be the long lasting effects of living through the collective trauma of a pandemic? Are we all at risk? for PTSD in the future. Our guest this week on the Life Amplified podcast says the best way that we can improve the quality of our lives in the present and protect our mental health in the future is to lead with our feelings. Archie Messer-Smith-Bunting is a mental wellness coach, consultant, and professional speaker who has an amazing program that's going to allow you to check in with yourself and potentially save the lives of those that you come in contact with. We'll talk to him about it this week on Life Amplified. Welcome back. What is an amplified life? It's having amplified relationships with people who support and encourage you to be your best. It's having amplified energy to conquer the challenges of the day. And it's having an amplified career, one that's meaningful to you, the world, and your bank account. I'm Dan Mason, Life Reinvention Coach, helping you discover your calling and create an amplified life on your terms. This is the Life Amplified Podcast. 
This week on the Life Amplified podcast, we're going to have a really meaningful conversation. I think so often, you know, we can spend years on the therapist's couch. We can read the self-help books. We can intellectually understand all the events of our life uh, that have maybe blocked us from living as fully and vibrantly as we want, but we stay in the place of intellectualizing. We understand, but we never embody a new way of being. Our guest this week on the podcast is going to get you out of your head and back into your heart. He's going to teach us that that's the most fruitful place that we can create transformation from. Archie Messersmith-Bunting is the feelings guy. He is a mental wellness coach, consultant, and professional speaker. In his former life, he was a successful musical theater performer in New York City before addiction and clinical depression destroyed his childhood dream and led him to a place where suicide seemed like the only answer. After battling back from the jaws of addiction, Archie now uses the stages he graces to remind others that we're all more than the wreckage of our past, and he uses his voice to share with audiences that individual moments and decisions in our life do not define us, but they can help design us. Really powerful conversation this week. Some of the topics that we're going to cover are how unresolved childhood trauma and drug use led Archie to a downward spiral that cost him his dream career, but how he also mounts back from it. He'll tell us about the night he died in a hospital and why Grey's Anatomy has been lying to us for the past 20 years. We'll talk about how you can't get better until you get honest with yourself and how trauma is healed in safe connection to other people. We'll talk about how our suffering doesn't make us special and the importance of taking personal responsibility for your life and why we need to feel our own grief without qualifying it. He'll explain what that means. Plus, he's going to tell you all about his five on the five program that he's launched here in May, uh, something that I think is a great practice for us to use at any point in our lives. If you love the podcast, if you have some breakthroughs and ahas, be sure to let us know. You can screenshot the podcast, upload it to Instagram, tag Archie at Archie underscore cares, and be sure to tag me at CSC Dan Mason. Don't forget, if you're new to the podcast, give us a follow here on Apple, the iHeartRadio app, whichever platform that you're listening on, and we always happily accept your five-star ratings and reviews if you feel moved to do so. Really beautiful conversation this week with Archie Messersmith-Bunting. He's going to help us lead with our feelings. Archie, my man, welcome to Life Amplified. Dan, it is good. To, I love that energy. It is good to be here. I'm so honored to have you on the podcast. It's an important conversation. I think people will be moved by your story. And we're kicking off National Mental Health Awareness Month, Look, which is relevant 365 days, 52 weeks a year. But it seems like more so right now with everything <laughs> that we've been through. Over the past 12 months, I'm curious, you know, you you are the feelings guy, you are a a mental health coach for many people, you've done a lot of your work as we'll get into, but I'm just curious, like if you reflect on the past 12 months, like what's your big takeaway? What have you learned about yourself that maybe you didn't even know after doing all the therapy and reading the self-help books? Wow, that's a great, let's just dive right in, man. Let's just literally jump in the deep end. I love it. Head I love first. It. I do it. Um, I, 
if I'm being super duper honest with your, with your humans listening, um, I have learned that I'm a lot more sensitive than I thought I was. Mm -hmm. I, I put on a really good show for other people. That's a lie. I put on a really good show for myself um, Mm -hmm. that I have it like more together and like more, you know, okay. Because I, as you say, I, I do this work and I, I, I speak for a living. So I speak to people well, right now I'm staring at a green light, but you know, I talk to this green light all the time and I, I want to show up as a helper, but what I've really learned, and like, I knew this before. So to your, to your exact question, I knew this before, but in the pandemic, what I've really learned is if I show up hundred percent vulnerably, like I've had to reach out to a client and say, Hey, my depression is kicked in today. And I'm doing the best I can to self-care. Do you want to have this conversation tonight or not? And they're like, well, if you'll, sh- if you'll show up and do it, then we will. But that vulnerability made that that wow. presentation off the charts because I was being, I was hurting. Like I was actually physically hurting, but I still showed up. So I've learned I'm a lot more sensitive than I thought I was, but I've also learned that that can be a strength if I choose to let it be a strength. This question comes up for me in my coaching practice all the time and in my group programs. Like, Dan, like, when is it all done? Like, when am I just healed? <laughs> <laughs> Like at some point there's a finish line, there's a ribbon that you bust through like the Boston Marathon and you win a trophy and you have done it. You have figured out personal development. Mm -hmm. And I think it's such a nuanced conversation that, you know, it's not so much a destination as it is an ongoing process. What is, what does that look like for you over the past year, especially as somebody who's holding space for a lot of your clients and, and people in pain, what have been the self-care regimens that have helped you maintain and, and to get through it and survive a, a global pandemic? Yeah, I think that's a phenomenal question. But before I answer, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when you tell them that when you succeed is when you're in a pine box. Like that is when, <laughs> that is when the growing and the learning stops. So congratulations, you made it because I mean, that's, that's the real truth. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I have had to prior, what's so funny about this answer is that I, I practice and I teach self-care and I teach people that self-care is not selfish, but man, I sometimes can suck at self-care early in the pandemic when there was so much hurt and confusion. Dude, I was doing like four, sometimes five presentations a day. Okay, that's not emotionally possible for me. By by number five, I was, I mean, I had nothing left to give myself or my husband or my child. So I had to like force myself into self-care. And, you know, whoever it was that called and said, hey, we need to have this car. And I'm like, I already have two. No, I can't. And that, that was like, that was like emotionally painful for me to have to tell, so tell no to a group of students or to a company that wanted to have this conversation. But I found that they would respect that and say, okay, you're yes. When can you do it? Um, but of course, in my head, I'm like, well, if I say no, they're never going to ask me again. That never happened. Um, so I had to, I had to force myself into some self-care practices of limiting the number of presentations I had a day, scheduling Mondays where, you know, you're not, you can't make a meeting with me on a Monday unless you call me. Like there's no scheduling tool out there to, to meet with me. And all those things felt really weird to me, Dan. They felt really weird as an entrepreneur to like put parameters around myself or that, but, but like I had to, because I was getting to the point where I was getting crispy in my brain. And my first responsibility is to be a parent. Like that's where I show up first because growing up gay in the South, I did not think I was going to have a child. Okay. So like, I'm going to show up for him. So there's got to be something left. And so for me, I, I was I was talking to my good friend Eric Skravinsky 
of the preacher voice podcast. And he was saying that like, he literally puts on his calendar, walk to the mailbox <laughs> so that he will get up. And, and I think for those of us that are in this entrepreneur world, we have to like schedule time for ourselves to take care of ourselves. Well, entrepreneur, corporate lifestyle, working from home, it, it, it applies for everybody. And that's one of the takeaways that I've had over the past year. I just did a podcast all about boundaries uh, a couple of weeks ago. But we think boundaries, I think the reason why we're so afraid to set them is we think we're pushing people away and shutting people out. And what I've learned is that boundaries actually build trust and intimacy in mm -hmm. relationships. Like you're literally giving people a user's manual for how to relate to you and how to get the best out of you and, and what a gift that is, not just for yourself but for the people in your life, because then they're not guessing. <laughs> they're not walking on eggshells like, ooh, is Dan going to be a dick today? Like, what am I going to get? Yeah. I, I really love the fact that, that you shared that. Let's talk a little bit just about the journey of how you got here, because one of the themes on this podcast is often that our greatest pain can be the springboard to live your purpose. So take me back. You were living in New York City. You're working as an actor. You are performing, you're living the dream, you're young, what's not to love? I mean, you're going, you were cute, you were like working Fifth Avenue, I mean, just keep going, just like you were the heart of Chelsea, <laughs> just, just keep talking, keep talking. Yeah, I mean, all those things are true, all those things are true. And on the outside, to other people, it probably looked like, you know, this, this little kid from small town Alabama made it, quotation marks, made it. And I, I did. But I was miserable. I was miserable because I, I grew up in the deep South in a time when it was not okay to be gay. Uh, and so I went to a Christian university because mm. I was really trying to de-gay myself. And I thought that if anywhere in the world can make the gay go away, it is a Southern Baptist university <laughs> that did not work PS, but I tried and I'm still paying for that try with student loans. That's a different conversation. Uh, so I, I moved to New York with all of this internalized hate and homophobia and confusion. Cause I also grew up in a, in a religious environment and, you know, so you're going to go to hell. Well, so then what's the point? Like, what is the point of all this? So I tried drugs in, um, in a very innocent way. Um, <laughs> that makes no sense, but I did try drugs in an innocent way. It was like at a, at a club, like a party, we're going to try ecstasy. Okay. And when I tell you that when it kicked in all the hurt went away, I mean, like it all, it all disappeared. Some people say they chase the high. I chased the pain relief. Like it, the, the pain relief was, was so profound. I just didn't want to hurt. Now, I mean, drugs eventually became, you know, a problem. Um, drugs were not the problem. They were a symptom of problems that I wasn't dealing with. Um, and I ultimately ended up using intravenously. Um, and by the time you start shooting up, I mean, there's, this is not going to go well at all. Um, so I ended up, uh, I overdosed more times than I can count on my hands, my friend. Uh, but one of those times woke up having been intubated and, uh, then telling me that you died the night before and we had to do CPR to get you back. So when you get to that point, you got two choices. You can either fight like hell and get better, or you can use and die. And I'd already done one of those. So I just fought. You said something interesting and, and I want to go back to it, that drugs weren't the real problem. Right. I think a lot of times we focus on the behavior change. This happens in my coaching practice. People think that their soul sucking job is the problem. They think their spouse is the problem. If they just find a new relationship, everything will get better. <laughs> if it wasn't the external behavior, 
What was the real internal void that you had to address? What, what was that for you? Yeah, well, there are a couple of things. So I'm adopted. And um, I, if, if, let me say this, I'm not getting any more degrees unless they just give them to me. But <laughs> if I was going to get a degree, I would do research on the intersection of adoption and addiction, because I think, I think there's a lot there. I've met a ton of people in recovery who were adopted. Uh, and I was adopted, I guess, later as a child, I was two. So I mean, two is, I mean, my, my child is two and a half. So I know what two looks like now. So I know at what point in my life I was adopted. So up until that point, I didn't have, there was no stability. Like I went from an emergency foster placement to a foster home, but like, even as a child, you know, that like this person could go away. So I had a, I was really fucked up. I was like extremely. And my parents did the best that they could do in the seventies. There was no Oprah. There was no Ellen. Like that may sound funny, but like, I'm serious. Like they, we didn't, you turned on the nightly news to watch Dan rather. It was just about the news back then. There was nothing else. So I, I had this, you know, massive fear of rejection. I was the skinny dancer kid. And I, this was right about the time when like people on Broadway started looking like Abercrombie models. It wasn't really like that before. So that's right when I moved to New York and I do not look like an Abercrombie model. So, so much self-loathing, add the gay community onto that. Like everybody's beautiful and perfect and, you know, vacationing on Fire Island and I wasn't. Um, so I, I had to deal with all of that, but I also had an undiagnosed mental illness that was making all of this burn like wildfire. Um, and so I was really like the perfect, like storm of like combustion that when they, all those things met together and then you pour hardcore drugs on top of them and they just exploded. You know, we talk a lot about uh, attachment patterns on this, on this podcast a lot and the beginning of anxious attachment for so many people, when you have that connection, even if you're not aware, you know, as a baby of who the birth mother, of who your birth mother is, but the minute that that connection is severed, there's a tremendous sense of grief and loss and anxiety. I've heard Dr. Gabor Matei talk about that a lot, where they've talked about, they've done studies where they've taken twins who were put into adoption and then put in different homes. And everybody always tried to say it was the environment that you grew up in would dictate your attachment style. But oftentimes for twins separated at birth, there's a tremendous loss. There's a sense of grief. You're separated from the parent and from the siblings. So, so many of these things are happening in utero. They're happening mm -hmm. like in those first couple months of life. It's not always, you know, whether mom and dad told you that they loved you enough, you know, when you were seven years old, that we're dealing with very primal things yeah. that happen at such an early age. So for you, you overdose, you notice that it, you're told the next day that you had died the night before. By the way, any story on that? Do you have like any story about like going to the other side? Oh, no. No. I was oh. so high. And see, that's, 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 that's so funny. High school students ask me that all the time. And, and I, so I think we actually are doing people a disservice with, now listen, before I say this, don't come for me, Grey's Anatomy fans, because I love Grey's Anatomy. Do not come for me. <laughs> but I think some of the drama is a disservice because when I tell you that I always thought, I was assumed that when someone was doing like, come on, come on, Tim, come on, that like Tim knew that was happening and Tim had a choice in the fight. That is how it happened. I don't remember <laughs> any of it. Like, I don't remember anything. Like, I just woke up and I was like, where the hell am I? So yeah, no, 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 nothing. Shonda Rhimes has lied to us for years. Oh. But we love you, Shonda. We love you. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. <laughs> so you come back, you make a decision. Obviously, you, you, it's sort of like you're forced into making a new decision. Mm -hmm. What did a healing path look like for you? 
So I would love to say, uh, Dan, that I have a Hallmark story and that I walked out of that hospital and I never used again. And a new man. That is not what happened. Um, I stumbled around some more. I fell on my face a lot. And then I, I stumbled into uh, recovery. Um, everyone makes their own choice. I don't speak on behalf of any recovery community, but I fell into a recovery community. And there was a guy that, um, that literally, I mean, literally this, this man saved my life. He ended up being my sponsor when I was actually getting it. And the way we met, he heard me like pontificating about how miserable my life was. I'm sure, I'm sure I, I'm sure I thought it was very special. And he walked over and he was like, you here, you're coming to this meeting tomorrow. And I was like, no, I'm not. He's like, yes, you are. And so then I did. And, you know, he just kind of forced me, forced me to look at myself and I didn't actually start getting better until I started really getting honest. And, and unfortunately that spanned many years. Um, I did, I did put some time together. I did get out of New York city which saved my life. Um, but then I ended up um, returning to substances later in life, went back to, went back to rec- recovery again. And then in that rehab was the first time that I actually talked about the suicide attempt that I'd never really talked about. It's the first time I talked about the fact that like, I literally truly hear voices in my head. And sometimes I talk back to them. Um, but I was scared to say that because I was scared if I told you that you were going to put me in a straitjacket and take me away. And when I said it, my, my counselor, Didi, was like, okay. And so then she just moved on. And I was like, wait, time out, time out. What? what? And she was like, oh, yeah, that's totally fine. We'll, we'll get some medicine. We'll be good. And it was just in that moment, like the literally the, like the world kind of came out my shoulders that like, this is fixable. Like I'm fixable. I can, we can do this. Um, and, and so after that, I just opened up and like all the stuff came out and I finally started getting better. Yeah, I love, well, there's a couple of things that I hear in there that I really think are important. Number one, when you were struggling to get well, or maybe taking a step forward and two steps back, it's when you were talking about pontificating about the misery of your (laughs) life. Sometimes we think that the pain is what makes us significant. And if anything that we believe makes us significant, we tend to hang on to. It can be the old stories, the people who air quotes, wronged us, you know, there's a lot of blame associated with that. And it keeps us from taking personal responsibility. Um, Is there anything that you want to add to that? Because I do think that that's an important point. We can even unknowingly get caught up in our victim stories. And you can't be a victim and a survivor or a thriver or a change maker at the same time. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I don't get asked this ever. But I think that it's really important to hear and to own. It was actually easier for me pain-wise to be a drug addict and an active drug addict and a fuck up because then I had something to blame losing my career on until I actually moved to the other side and realized that I made those choices. I'm the one that put the needle in my arm. I'm the one that blew off this audition um, with an agency that I won't say their name, but like my career would have taken a totally different, you know, totally different turn had I showed up. Um, but that was never going to happen until I stopped using this other thing as an excuse. So it, it was more comfortable to be a failure than to actually look at all of that, be honest about it all, grieve for my loss, actually truly grieve so that I could watch a musical and be happy again. None of that was possible until I got honest about that. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right that it's easier to, it's more comfortable to uh, assume this, this role as the victim or the, 
you know, oh, poor me, or like, why did this happen to me? And then owning your part, like owning your part in that shit, and then working through it. Yeah, it's taking personal responsibility while also not beating the shit out of yourself for the past <laughs> choices. I think that's such a fine line for people <laughs> because the minute, like in a lot of coaching calls, and maybe you see this where you talk to people about, hey, what was your role in this? Then it can go into, well, you know, they use it to justify the stories that they suck or they're not enough. Mm -hmm. No, you can simply, once you acknowledge the old choices, you can make a new choice that Mm -hmm. drives your life forward. And for you, it sounds like, you know, continuing, you know, in in recovery. The other piece of that that I want to go back to, because I think it's so important, is that trauma is healed in safe connections with other people. The minute that we can share those parts of ourselves that we think are just too far gone that nobody can love, you know, for you, that I hear voices in my head and sometimes I talk back to them to be able to share that. Was that, was that the most transformative moment for you? Would that allow you to move forward? Absolutely. Yes. Because also this was like, this was like much, much later in life. Like I had a career and like, you know, and then, um, life happened again, but I was, I was dating the, the man that's now my husband. And so that day, my therapist's name was Dee. And she's like, we're going to call Bill and we're going to tell him. And I was like, no, we're not. She's like, yes, we are. And so we go into our office and she dials a number and she, he says, hello. And Dee was like, Archie has things he needs to say, please sit down. <laughs> I was like, what? I mean, but, but she knew my personality and she also knew that I was, um, I had, I had a lot of knowledge cause I'd been in, I've been in program for a long time. And so she just pushed me out of the nest. And so I said, I said these things to him and he was like, okay. And so Didi was like, do you love me any less? And he was like, no. And, and she was like, do you think we can work through this? And he was like, yes. And she looked at me and she's like, how do you feel? And I was like, I'm going to vomit. And she was like, good. And she's like, okay, we're done here. I mean, and I mean, it was so matter of fact, you know, uh, but I guess I hadn't thought about that in a long time about how, how simple that now, listen, I didn't say easy. I really was about to vomit, but how yeah. simple that conversation was, but yet how profound that moment was in both in my life and our relationship that it was all, it was all out then everything was out. And like, he knew, he knew the crazy he was married, you know, might marry and he's, and we still got married. So, you know. <laughs> And you're still lovable and still yeah, worthy yeah, of love. Yeah. That to me seems like it's more and more helpful than like a hundred therapy sessions. Yeah. Just being able to open up and share vulnerably with somebody in your life and know that it's okay. They're still there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, I mean, there's this, there's this saying in recovery, if you're in recovery and you're listening, you've heard this a thousand times, you know, we're only sick as our secrets. Those secrets were eating me alive. So once you like, once you let go of them, there's no more eating because it's out there. And now I say it like every time I speak, like every time I talk, I talk about, you know, my, my suicide attempt and, and how grateful I am to be here and, and my mental illness. And like, I, I just actually printed these new shirts that I'm going to put on my website. It literally says, I have a mental illness and I'm going to wear it proudly in Walmart and just like smile at people like to help destigmatize this thing called mental illness. Cause it's no different than like, like diabetes. I just, I was born with this. So whatever. A big part of, it's obviously part of your branding. You are the feelings guy, trademark, (laughs) right? Trademark. We are so taught from an early age to value the brain as the technology from which we should operate, that we should analyze, we should think our way through every issue. And it comes at the expense of the heart. Have you noticed in in your own mental health practice, uh, working with clients, 
that that's what's come to a head for people over the past 12 months is, you know, life has slowed down and all the ways that we could push the feelings down by crushing it, by being a workaholic, by going to happy hour, by all the ways that we would cope. Is that been the biggest shift is it's the, the past year has forced us to sit with some unpleasant feelings? Yeah, I mean, dude, you nailed that. Early on in in 2020, when I would when I would talk, especially if I had groups of of men, whether that's high school, college, or corporate America, when as men, I don't care if you're however you, however you identify, gay, straight, I don't care. We are taught from an early age and really good about keeping our feelings pushed down. And all those things you just talked about, we can do that. But when the gyms closed, when the office closed, when the bars closed. We couldn't push it down anymore. And so they're coming up, but there to meet them is fear from the pandemic and like all this stuff and loneliness. So it just was too much. And it has been surprising, but not shocking how many college students I've heard say when the gym got open, when the gym reopened, things started getting better. And I was like, well, then we have a problem because there's not a dumbbell in the world big enough to like lift your feelings away. There's not a treadmill you can run fast enough to run from your feelings. So if that's when things got better, you're using the gym as a Band-Aid. What are you covering up? Like, what do you, I hope, I hope that one of the positive things that comes from this is experience that I call the pandemic an experience because it just sounds nicer. But this experience that we've all been through is that all those things that we were pushing down that like began to camp, come up, don't push them back down. Don't push them back down. Like actually find someone to talk with. And if you have been pushing them down that long, you might want to talk to somebody. You might want to not like work through this in your brain on your head because your brain is not your best friend. Sometimes talk to somebody to begin to work through those things. You've created a program for Mental Health Awareness Month that for you, it's a social media campaign you started on May 5th. We're going to talk about that in a moment because I think anybody can do this May, June, October. It doesn't matter. Practice that will build intimacy and connection and, and promote it, just promote healing. But before we do that, Talking about just to to piggyback off what you just shared, you had three tips that you were going to share today for people who are negotiating the experience of the past year. (laughs) Talk to me about the value of allowing ourselves to grieve. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so important. And Dan, you know what I've realized? We don't talk about grieving or forgiveness. Those are two things we don't talk about in society. You can watch the nightly news, whatever channel you want to watch. You're not going to hear about pausing to grieve and forgiveness ever. Like for some reason, the church has cornered those two conversations, and I don't really understand why. So I've started talking about those two things a lot more. Grief is the response to a loss. That is the definition of grief. We have all lost things. This is factual. Anyone hearing my voice, your life looks somewhat different than it did February of 2020. This is factual. Have you stopped to grieve? And so when I challenge people to do that, I always get this response of, well, but you know, it wasn't that bad for me. Or like, I didn't, you know, I I didn't lose anyone or like I was able to work from home. Okay. Stop qualifying your grief. Stop qualifying. That Mm -hmm. really kicked in for me when I, um, so I still do follow a lot of people on Broadway and the night, I don't remember her name, but the young woman who was going to take over as Elsa on Broadway, that would have happened after Broadway shut down. So she posted this tweet that, you know, tonight would have been my Broadway debut as Elsa in Frozen, but, you know, with everything else going on in the world, it's, it's not that big a deal. And I'm like, no, 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 no. 
This was, this was a major loss for you. Stop and give yourself permission to feel those feelings and to grieve and to stop qualifying them and then begin to move on. And so I, I think it's super, and until you do, until you grieve for whatever that thing is, it's still there. The wound is still there. You, you got, you got to pause and grieve. Yeah, the trap for a lot of people is we think that we're being spiritually evolved by pushing it down and, you know, oh, well, other people have it so much worse. I mean, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but it doesn't change the circumstances. Yeah. So I think or, that or you, it doesn't change you, it doesn't change you. And while you continue to say other people, you're once again, we are once again as humans, stop focusing on ourselves and focusing on other people because it's easier, it's more comfortable. Well, screw that. Take care of you. And do you agree with this? Because sometimes when grief comes up in any of my coaching calls with clients, people are always looking for the mindset hack to reframe it and move beyond it. Like, Dan, what is the mantra? Or, you know, can I go get some mala beads and, go, you know, some Lululemon tights? And (laughs) will that help me move beyond? No, grief. I just was always considered grief is something that's lived. It's not Mm -hmm. a mindset hack agree or disagree with that? No, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think that that comes from, and, and listen, I, I understand why they exist. And she has since, you know, uh, not apologized, but said, maybe I didn't get this exactly right with the stages of grief that we think that like here's stage one, here's stage two. And that's the problem with any stage theory is that it's not truly like a stair step, but I don't particularly buy into the stages of grief because I don't think it's like clockwork. I'm, 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 I'm making a clock hand for those who can't see me. I think grief is like a tsunami. When a tsunami is coming at you in real life, you have one of two choices. You can stand and like, I will beat you tsunami. And <laughs> you are done for because the tsunami is going to crush you. Or you can lay down on the beach, let the tsunami come over you and ride it out. That's really the only way you're going to survive. If you're nowhere near a tree to hang on to, that is your only option for even like potential survival. It's the same thing. So instead of us fighting against this thing or like trying to find those, those little lemon pants or like trying to find the thing, no, just, just ride the grief, just ride it and talk, talk about it, talk about it. And then eventually, this is where I do go back to buying into the stage theory. Eventually we begin to come out to the place, not like, not I'm okay with what lo- what I lost. I'm okay with, with the death, but I will be okay. And, and there's a, there's a huge difference there acceptance Acceptance, at the end of the day it's not fighting what is so for you you know these two steps you said grieving you said not qualifying the loss which we could also look at as acceptance Mm -hmm. the third one uh is vital and super important right now and that's just about the self-talk talk to me more about how it is we speak down to ourselves and might not even realize it and where do we go to make the shift yeah yeah, so Dan, this is also something that is newish in my life. Um, I began to work with a business coach because I don't know about you, but like in second grade, I was like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Like that wasn't that wasn't what I said at all. So like I'm learning things, and he commented to me how much I negative self talk, and I was irritated. I was like, What are you talking about? I'm, I'm a mental health coach, and he was like, You negative self talk a lot. He was like, You say things like, I'm drowning at work, and I don't work in a swimming pool, so I'm definitely not drowning at work. Like that's not actually possible. Or I'll say things like, You know, I don't have time for this today. Well, I do have time for this today. I'm just choosing to put time somewhere else. So I, when I, when he told me these things and I began to think about how much I do it and like, I constantly like you idiot, like why do you do it? Like, I'm just like beating myself up all the time. And so now that I've chosen, I make a choice to, I want to hear myself say it, 
when I hear it in the beginning, I would talk back and I would say, nope, not drowning. We're not drowning. I have a lot going on. I'm going to focus on this today. And so now when I hear it, I just kind of, I kind of smile and I'm like, okay. And then I just like positively reframe it. So I think that, I think that a lot of times we, we think about negative self-talk as being like, you idiot. Well, okay. That is negative self-talk, but there's so much more. Like when you say I'm exhausted, of course you are. Of course you are. You just told your brain seven times that you're exhausted. So of course you're tired. Like take a nap, take an action step. So sometimes it's about listening to those things we say to ourselves, taking an actual action step to practice self-care and then to move and do, doing, the, doing the action differently the next time. I was sharing with you before we recorded the podcast, but I think it's important just for somebody listening today. One of the traps I fall into a lot, just as somebody who consumes a lot of personal development and you know wants to be the best at it, I want my gold medal in personal <laughs> development at the end of the day. One of the ones that I've used a lot is, you know, I'm just working on myself, but the subtext underneath it, the energy is, I'm still kind of fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) There's like an energy of lack that I'm somehow not enough. Mm -hmm. And one of the places I've even switched this year is just to say, hey, I'm, I'm loving on myself. You know, I'm learning to, you know, rather than, oh, you know, I'm struggling to get to this next level in my business. No, I am learning to grow and to, you know, to create a seven-figure business and places like that. And that's been, you know, really powerful. And I've just tried to be more mindful about catching myself there as well. Um, let's talk about five on the five, because I love what you're doing. And I, and I know that when we're releasing this, there's a lot of people who are going to find this podcast after May 5th, sure, but I sure. think the practice is completely worthwhile. Tell me where this came from the idea and about these three easy steps that people can take to promote mental well-being with their community, uh, and their family and friends now and in the future. Five on the five happens on May the 5th. And it it happened last year very quickly. So I launched my speaking business January of 2020. The world shut down in March. So friend, I wasn't working. <laughs> like nobody was hiring me. So, you know, I had a lot of free time. And I I realized I don't I think I was laying in bed and I was like, huh, wait, five and the five are coming up. Oh, let's do this thing. And so it it is, I call it a mental wellness campaign that's also a human connection campaign. And so for those of you that hear this before May 5th. The goal of May 5th is to reach out to five people. When you reach out to them, do not say, how are you doing? Do not say, hey, what's up? Say, how are you feeling? And to your point about whenever you hear this, that is something I think we should begin to practice at all times. When you say, when I'm saying, hey, Dan, what's up? If I'm being really honest, I don't really care. That is just a polite thing we say to you. Hey, man, how are you doing? Like, we're just being polite. We don't really care. If I say, hey, Dan, how are you feeling today? Well, then you know I'm actually in this. And probably you're like, huh, how am I feeling? Because we're like, you just just try it. Whenever you hear this, try it. The next two people say, hey, how are you feeling today? They're either going to go, what do you want to know? Or they're going to (laughs) go, or they're going to go, because we're so trained to not talk about our feelings. So as someone who who is a a survivor of, of a suicide attempt, this, this day is all about focusing on other people's feelings, but kind of the the, the, the flip side is you end up feeling better as a person. So on May 5th, reach out to five people, ask them how they're feeling. At the end of the conversation, ask that person if they will reach out to five more people. And so it just keeps growing, growing, growing. And then you take a picture of yourself holding up the number five 
put it on social media using the hashtag five on the five. And it just keeps, keeps growing, growing, growing. I love that. What do you do in the in- instance? Cause we talked about how we're conditioned, not even to acknowledge these conversations. Mm-hmm. Like I think about where I would be with just somebody who randomly called me and I'd love to say I've moved beyond this. Right. But there's a part of me like, I don't want to burden people with my shit. So I would be the guys like, Oh, you know, hanging in there. <laughs> Quick answer, divert the conversation back to somebody else. Is it okay or is it intrusive to lean into somebody and be like, no, how are you really feeling? I think there's two parts to that. If we're talking about the person in, you know, taking your order at Starbucks, because friend, you know, I do this all the time. I get in Starbucks line. They're like, can I take your order? And I'm like, well, first, how are you feeling? And they're like, so can I take your order? And I'm like, nope, not too tell how you're feeling. Like, I mean, I'm all in. So I'm not saying everyone should do that. But if somebody's in your phone, if their name is in your phone, and you call them, and you come back to me with, oh, I'm living the dream. I'm hanging out. I'm like, okay, how are you really feeling? And then they're going to know, okay, we're about to have a real conversation. And then the choice is yours to, to say, well, um, I'm not really sure. Or, or you know, I'm kind of struggling, like whatever. So if it's somebody we know, I would, I would double down. Sure. And I think it's important for the person who's on the receiving end to be able to listen to what's being said without jumping in and trying to fix it, trying to tell them, oh, it's not so bad, cheer up. Mm. Or, or my personal favorite, oh, you think you have it bad. Oh. I've been through that. Let me, tell you, let me tell you about my shit in my life. <laughs> you better preach the good word. I mean, why do human beings think that when, here's the thing, people, here's the thing. Here's the piping hot Earl Grey tea. If somebody chooses to open up to you, what they don't need is your stupid opinion. They don't need your opinion. And to what Dan just said, don't make it about yourself. Like this one time at Bandcamp, no, 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 no. Just listen. Just listen. Listen. Just listen. I always joke that there is somebody in my life who uh, I, I always said that if she were at the MLK, I have a dream speech. She would have run up on stage and stolen the microphone and been like, oh, my God, that is so interesting. You know, my daughter had a dream last night. Let me tell you all about my daughter and what she's going through. Like, that would have been like the archival footage that we had had she had been there. So, yes, really just being able to hold that space. Yeah. And knowing that as you're doing that, I think as you're just energetically available for other people, that's coming back to you. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to be able to do the same for you as well. Mm-hmm. In fact, most of the times, don't we usually get through sort of like once we're able to share our experience, most of us, people listen to this podcast are all people with high empathy who are like, so tell me about you. Mm-hmm. How are you, you know, that intimacy mm-hmm. and bond is created. Yeah. And just one quick thing about that as well. if. Listen, I also would challenge you, like even today, when we started, you asked me like, how are you doing? And I said, I'm, I think I said, I'm tired, but hopeful. Like I say the wrong question just because it's easier. So I believe that, how are you doing today? Hey, what's about that? I believe that's the wrong question. Even if somebody asked you the quote, wrong question, answer with the feeling answer. Model the way by using feeling words. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Well, I am hopeful. And they'd be like, uh, okay, <laughs> but, but, but you will have just modeled the way of what it's like to share our feelings. So you can do it either way at all times. And it depends on like how deep you want to go in. You can either like stick your toe in, or you can be like me and just go all in. And like, I'm all feelings all the time. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's up to you. 
Well, once we finish wrapping this up, I'll be walking my dog over to the coffee shop and <laughs> Barista and I are about ready to have a hell of a conversation and she doesn't realize it. So I love it. I love it. <laughs> Archie, thank you so much uh, for your vulnerability and for sharing your story today. So timely as we're in National Ment Mental Health Awareness Month, but really just timely all year round. How can people find you on online and on the socials? Easiest place is just to go to the website, which is archiecares.com. Uh, the place I'm most active is Instagram, which is Archie underscore cares. Um, but it's just Google Archie cares. And there you go. And you can find more information on five on the five there and uh, just be able to reach out and let Archie know what resonated for you in this interview. Thank you so much for your time, my friend. This was a pleasure. Thanks so much. I think the biggest takeaway for me on that is the danger that we're facing during reopening when we can all go back to the coping devices. We can run away from our feelings at the gym. We can get back out to happy hour, go to social events. We can work late nights in the office. And what a missed opportunity if we haven't done that internal work, if we haven't gone inward to really process what we've learned about ourselves. Who have we been up until now? And who do you want to be moving forward in the future. Just really uh, uh, love Archie, loved his vulnerability, and I hope to see lots of five on the five posts coming up this month. Even if you're finding this podcast after May 5th, still a beautiful practice that you can bring into your life uh, just to check in and build more intimacy and trust with the people around you. Don't forget, uh, you can screenshot this podcast, upload it to Instagram, let us know your breakthroughs, tag Archie, at Archie underscore cares. You can tag me at CSC Dan Mason. And if you're looking for some additional support to move through all the feelings that have been bottled up over the last year so that you can create your next level of happiness, freedom, and fulfillment, I've got you. You can find out more about my coaching programs at my website, creativesoulcoaching.net. That's also the place you can sign up for the wait list for my new workshop, Beyond the 9 to 5, helping you thrive in your own personal economy, cut ties with corporate, and take back your life. We've talked about this. 50% of the workforce right now looking to go out on their own, either as a freelancer or to start their own business. I'm going to give you a blueprint on how you can do that, how I've built a multiple six-figure business uh, from scratch. And I believe anybody can do the same thing. We'll get you the info in that workshop. Thank you so much for listening this week. It means the world to me that you dedicated 40 minutes out of your time to work on yourself and you allow this podcast to be an outlet to do it. In the meantime, turn down the volume on your negativity, turn up the volume on your purpose so you can live life amplified. I'll talk to you next week.